0: just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to Sidebar Forever. If you like the show, please subscribe to us at SidebarForever.com as well as share episodes of the podcast on your social media. That way new listeners can find us as well. Let's talk about bad guys, evildoers, scoundrels, villains in pop culture despite being vile and sinister have typically been the most memorable characters. On a good day, they get the best monologues and drop the hottest one-liners. Writers say that a great villain is the star of their own story. Hence why we, the audience, sometimes want the hero and the villain to succeed. It's a wonderful bit of cognitive dissonance. On today's episode, Swain and I discuss the phenomenon of rooting for the villain, why we do it, and what are some of the clearest examples of it happening? We also ask a few questions. For instance, do we like Darth Vader more than Luke Skywalker? Or do we simply quote him more? The plot of Avengers Infinity War is all about Thanos' mission. Doesn't that make it his movie? And are Magneto? and Amanda Wall are villains, or do they simply believe the ends justify the means? I'm Matron Johnson. Dread it, run from it. Destiny arrives all the same, and now, it's here. Or should I say, Swain and I are here, as we ask the question, why do we root for villains? Just thinking about all the great villains, all the great villains in popular culture that you've come across in film, novels, whatever. Uh, Perhaps for the sake of this episode, we'll we'll stick to films. You know what I'm saying? But you can take it elsewhere. Okay. What makes a villain, if if there's such a thing, appealing? I'm not talking about an anti-hero. I'm not talking about a protagonist that has tendencies to go beyond what a hero would do. I'm talking about a straight villain. Straight gangster Mac. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> what just makes a villain so appealing in such that you can't wait to see that villain get their comeuppance, but while they're doing their thing, you kind of can't wait to see what they're going to do next. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny you you, you asked that because I was thinking about this and it seems as if most villains, and, and we, can, we can talk about villains and other things in, in fiction, you know, in, in novels and comics and, and, and TV, too. Okay. And even other things. I wrote down a few other uh, areas that I think will be interesting to you uh, as it relates to your own interest, But it seems like either in terms of villains that we kind of root for or that we kind of like or have an appeal, like what you're talking about, it's either because they are so electric and so charismatic or so cool with what it is that they do. Like like you said, you can't wait to see what they do next or read what they do next. Mm-hmm. Or it's number two, where they have like a mission or a backstory that's relatable to us as humans, as, as normal, you know, average people. And to some extent, we either sympathize with them or we empathize with them. Mm, mm-hmm. mm. So, you know, uh, let's say a guy like Hannibal Lecter, Mm -hmm. he just got all the juiciest lines and the juiciest parts. You know, the stuff he said to Clarice, you you come in here with your cheap bag and your shoes, you look like (laughs) a rube. You know, (laughs) he just said the most obscenely cool things to the point where it was like, Oh, I can't, I can't wait till this guy gets back on screen. That's why I said to me in the first movie, it was Hannibal's movie.
0: Mm-hmm, hmm
1: In a way, it was. It was supposed to have been hers, but it was his movie. Yeah. And, and so he's an example of that, you know, just... He's a charisma machine. The minute he gets on screen, he is just a charisma machine. Hans Gruber is just a charisma machine. Mm. To some extent... This is another one this is to go off of the of the film Remember Erica Kane on All My Children? Okay. People loved her but she was the bad person. She was the bad gal. But people loved Erica Kane. She was the evil personified on that show but people tuned in every day and every week to see Erica Kane do her thing. And then an example of the second, you know, where the mission or the backstory, we kind of get it would be like Magneto, you know, where we understand that, you know, his people have been hunted and hounded. And, you know, because of his own background as it relates to the films in uh, concentration camps. Yeah. He's just decided it's, it's just a war on, on the normies. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> on the, uh, the homo sapiens versus the homo superiors. And then another example, too, in terms of empathy and sympathy would be like Mr. Freeze
0: oh yeah Mm.
1: you know his wife dies he's stuck in this cold chamber otherwise he's gonna die and he's hell-bent on getting revenge for his beloved you know his beloved wife
0: oh man
1: it seems like they all for the most part kind of fall in those two categories and that's kind of how it happens um and then you have something weird like Freddy Krueger where, you know, the kills just get so outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you talk about fran- – we about franchises on a previous episode. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, okay, you get so far into it where it's like, okay, the people that he's killing, they're meat puppets to us. You know what I mean? It's just – I want to see Freddy do his thing, you know. Exactly, goddamn Freddy, goddamn (laughs) Freddy.
0: (laughs) You know, it's it's funny how you know you're speaking about Freddy Krueger and just the '80s um, as uh, in a larger sense. Villainy in the '80s kind of reaches this place, and I don't think even movies today could kind of approach it. Even if they try to, you can't. Mm-hmm. The 80s really set the archetype for a number of different types of villains. You know, like you had, like in the 80s, you had um, in RoboCop. I think it was Dick Jones, uh, Ronnie Cox's character. Ronnie Cox's oh! character, yeah. Oh, <laughs> and, and I, yeah. I will also say him in Total Recall. Yes. Copenhagen, just, uh, oh my God, just the ultimate corporate asshole but he was so
1: yeah yeah
0: I don't know how to say it it's like he was so deliciously evil in all of those in both yeah that you were just like I hate you but I can't wait to see what are you going to
1: do oh my god you're terrible yeah he really he, <laughs> he really did and there's something to be said about the 80s where he really did bring those characters to life in a way and not like for instance again he was so good Uh, And the material was good, too. Those were good movies, you know, Total Recall and um, and And RoboCop. But he wasn't a villain where you wanted to, like, you would, like, if you could, if you could have, you would like to sit down and maybe have a nice steak dinner with Hans Gruber. Sure. And have him talk about, you know...
0: The finer things in life,
1: you know, the finer things in life, and the, the benefits of 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 of, uh, of an English education, and <laughs> and um, you know, Alexander saw the breadth of what he had conquered, and he wept for it. There were no more lands to conquer. You know what I'm saying? To have him say, <laughs> "Drop cool shit like that," and to talk about fashion and what he read in Time Magazine last week. You kind of would like to have dinner. Or have a drink with Hans Gruber and just fuck with him and see what what came out of his mouth. Yeah, maybe similarly with uh you don't want to have dinner with Hannibal Lecter. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> 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 Another one from like really from the pages of of the novels would be like Moriarty. Okay. Yeah. Where you know, like, I would like to sit down and have a conversation with Moriarty because he was fiercely intelligent and smart and a strategist, Mm -hmm. and you know, and a chess player. And he was the absolute, you know, the absolute uh, player on the other side to Sherlock Holmes, who we thought, okay, he's the smartest guy. He's the guy who's got all the answers. He's the guy who can who can look at it and can figure it out and can and can can you know take the details and and put it together and then moriarty comes along and he's just this perfect opposite yeah to holmes you know like so even with that you know there are examples where it's like wow you know i kind of would like to know more about about moriarty and the thing about moriarty i think is so interesting as a villain is when of course from the old you know the old basil rathbone movies yeah but the benedict cumberbatch television series from the bbc i think it was the bbc yeah mm-hmm. the guy who plays moriarty he's fucking great hmm. and then in the guy ritchie movies with um with jude law and with rod uh robert downey jr yeah the guy who plays more he's great everybody they get they cast as him is wonderful just wonderful so I you know so i don't know like i said i think that they all kind of fall within maybe those kind of two categories but i do agree with you going back to your original point with the 80s where there was a certain amount of villainy in the 80s where it was just despicable it was just like you know like uh james remar's character in 48 hours another joel oh, silver gans yeah. yeah you know yeah yo i mean just despicable just like Oh, you know, and one from the 80s that I actually had on my list of like great villains is your boy Chung Lee from from Bloodsport. Oh, yeah. Chung Lee, Chung, Chung Lee, Lee, Chung Lee, Chung Lee, Lee. Chung Yes, Lee. <laughs> yes. And it was Bolo, Bolo Young.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Bolo Young played Chung Lee. And, uh, you know, he was, of course, he had that size. He was big and muscular and he was built. And he had that bandana on, like he was like like he was a a, a martial arts Tupac or some shit, and uh, <laughs> and walking around. Yeah. And and he was breaking fools. Literally, yes. Breaking them, and uh, and he even told uh Jean Claude's character. He says, "Yeah, you break my record. Now I break you, like I break your friend." Yes. Oh. And, the, and then the even the big quote was, "Very good." But Brick not hit back.
0: <laughs> yes. And he, and he
1: and he bugged his eyes and pointed at him. And it was like, oh, shit. Dude, I I, I tell you how
0: chilly he was to me as a kid, Joe? I was literally scared of Bolo Young. And by accounts in real life, he's a teddy bear. Like, he's the nicest guy ever. But old film and blood sport, bruh, uh-uh.
1: Oh, hell no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was. He was. He was something else. He was something else. And and you know and the whole thing. You know the the whole uh, the whole Kumite was. It was all about fighting and opponents and all of that. Of course. But yeah. he clearly was the villain. And, and then he kills uh, Jean Claude's brother, right? Uh, no. You might be. No, that wasn't his brother. No, that was his friend. But
0: Bolo does appear in another Jean Claude movie where he does kill his brother. That's a different okay. one. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you might be thinking like double impact with with twin twin bed dams <laughs> okay okay
1: <laughs> but but man what going back in time what are your earliest memories of actually rooting for a villain either in the comics or in a maybe in a book that you were reading or on TV or in a film where you were actually cuz you know let's just say it like it is yo I mean, I don't know if we like Darth Vader more than we like Luke Skywalker, but we sure do quote that motherfucker way more than we do Luke Skywalker.
0: That was going to be my example. That was going to be my earliest example, man. You know, and it was one of those things to just like, man, he was absolutely Darth Vader. Star Wars definitely, but Darth Vader in particular was absolutely ubiquitous as a kid. Mm -hmm. And I came of age in the 80s. I was born in '80. So Empire had just come out, but I didn't know of Star Wars in general until maybe 84, 85 when they started playing them on like NBC like a Sunday night movie or something. Right. But at that point, it was just like, man, totally totally it was Darth Vader. That was like my first experience with like a villain where I was like, "Damn, I he's just too cool. I know he's evil, but he's still just too cool." You know what I'm saying? He's just great, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Another early experience would actually be, believe it or not, something like The Terminator. You know, like I was too young to have watched The Terminator movies when I was a kid. But again, one of those things to where it's almost like it's funny. As a kid, there were certain movies that I couldn't see because I wasn't old enough. You know what I'm saying? But I knew of those villains because they were becoming more and more ubiquitous. I keep saying that word you know, within the greater pop culture realm. So I knew of The Terminator before I saw the actual movie itself, even as a kid at a young age. I knew of, you know, Arnold with the glasses, and then I knew of the endoskeleton, or the exoskeleton, I'm sorry. I knew of The Terminator, and that was another one for me, you know what I'm saying, where it's just like, man, man, that's that's just cool. It's something about villains just being cool that just works. Like, the villains almost almost have to be cooler than the hero because you know the hero is going to be the force of good he's going to change things back to the way they're supposed to be while the villain is like the hero of their own story yeah and they're so compelling as to the reason why they want to do what they're doing that you're just like damn i kind of want to see
1: see see them succeed i kind of want to see if it works you know (laughs) no that's but that's exactly it and so the that's why i said the mission of the villain or the villain's backstory sometimes is the driver that makes us say okay well like you said you know it's it's a weird bit of cognitive dissonance where you're an audience member or reader or however you're consuming the material where you kind of want the hero to succeed and the villain to succeed at the same time. Yeah. Even though those two ideas are are diametrically opposed, you know, one has to conquer the other. But, you know, it made me think like what you're saying about every villain. uh, If they are well, if it's well written, they're the hero of their own story. They're not just like waving a gun or taking a hostage or, you know, threatening to push the button to, to, you know, to, to execute the nuke or whatever. They believe what they say and what they're doing is correct. So you look at someone like Thanos, Mm. where Thanos is almost like a religious figure, how he's portrayed in the uh, in the Marvel movies. Yeah. You know, where, you know, you're children of Thanos. When you die under Thanos's watch, you're children of Thanos. You become part of him. Yeah. You know, your sacrifice is 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 a divine thing in a way. And so. You know, Thanos has this mission. I'm going to wipe out half the universe, and so thusly doubling, you know, all of the uh, all of the resources in the universe for those who are still around. Mm. Now, granted, you have the all the Infinity Stones, so you could have just doubled all the resources in the universe. But let's not even talk about that. Okay, Let's, (laughs) let's not discuss it. But technically, all of Avengers: Infinity War is about his mission.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: It's really his movie. It's Thanos' movie. And I think that, you know, the other thing they say, you know, that writers will say is is that uh, a hero is only as good as their villain. You know, Mm -hmm, they're mm -hmm. only as good as their opposition. So I think a lot of like as it relates to feature film and TV, a lot of actors like playing villains because they get those delicious lines and those really sinister monologues. And they really get to tap into an emotion that they don't get to tap into as as the hero or as the protagonist, because to be honest, I don't know, do we really relate more to the good within us or do we relate more to the bad within us? Which one do we sit with more in our day-to-day lives? You know what I mean?
0: That's That's a great point. And you know, there's something about that duality, that dichotomy, if you will, that I think fuels a lot of that, you know, because when we are interacting on a daily basis, like you're saying, we do have to wrestle with that. Like, man, in this instance, what is going to be the better decision? Most often, we're going to try and be the, you know, choose the, the high road. You know, no, no, I really don't want to go there. You know what I'm saying? I'm going I'm, to I'm let that ride. You know, I'm going to be the bigger man, the bigger woman, and just be like, okay, I got it, whatever. But it's something about those who say, no, fuck that. You know what right. I'm saying? Right. Hell no. And they're almost they almost become villains because it's not just necessarily them choosing the low road, even when they're justified in doing so. It's the fact that they take that low road and stick to it with conviction and say, I'm going to do this, you know, while other conventions would say, oh man, man, you didn't have to do that. No, don't do that. No, don't. Let, let, let let him go. Let him go. No, he did this. He needs to pay. I need to do this because of this or whatever like that. There has to be some justification.
1: Yeah. Right. That And that's exactly right, man. I can remember like uh, working at a grocery store when I was a teenager mm-hmm. and you know people would you know steal from the grocery store the employees you know, you, you, they get caught stealing or whatever and i think i maybe did it maybe once maybe once or twice you know in my in my time there but look and i remember justifying i like man i ain't making but three dollars and 30 cents an hour man fuck them motherfuckers you know right, right. <laughs> exactly <laughs> i'm gonna get me a reese's cup okay i'm gonna have me some fun i'm gonna have me some fun <laughs> And, and as it relates to what you, what you just said a minute ago, uh, I've I mentioned to you a couple of times that I, I've been watching uh, Queen of the South. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. about the cartels and, and and all of that, and you know, and it comes up on the show where uh, the dude I told you who, who who's gonna be your boy if you ever watch it, Pote. All right, you know, Pote said because uh, what happens is is Pote the 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 very first episode, Pote and another Sicario. Have to go and kill this pilot and this other dude who worked for the cartel because they've been stealing. Mm-hmm. And so they so they kill him. And then later on in the series, Pote meets this guy's son and becomes a father figure to this kid. And he's like, Yes. He says, I feel bad about it now. He says, but he knew you're know, talking about the father that he killed. Pote says, he knew the rules. He knew the rules. If you steal, this is what happens to you. He knew the rules. And that's just the rules in the cartel. If you steal from your boss, you're going to get capped. You're going to get capped. No questions asked.
0: That's interesting. That that brings up another couple of things that I kind of wanted to posit to you. With villains, you know, you do find that they do have, you know, now there are some villains that just want to be wilding out for just whatever reason. But you do find that many villains do have a code of ethics. Somewhat twisted, but there's a code of ethics like, Tony Montana. All right. No, no women, no children. I'm not killing it. I don't do that shit, man. You know what I'm saying? But he's a fucking drug dealing. Just bastard. Yeah. 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 You know what I'm saying? But he has a code of ethics, such as it is with the example that you mentioned with queen of the south. You know, the rules. And if you don't follow those rules, these are the consequences. Right now we on the bad side of the law. But even within that, we have a code that we have to live by. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a business, and there is a protocol in the business. In order for the business to run, everybody can't be stealing. That's just it. And, and, and you know, Queen of the South is a great modern example of, I mean, it's a show about cartels and drug dealing and smuggling and murdering your enemies and and your people being murdered and then somebody else has got to pay for it and you double cross this person and i mean it's just all of that and yet you're very comfortable being amongst these characters for the 40 minutes per episode that you know that it happens i mean it just it is just the way it is but you know to your point just a minute what you said about uh, about uh, tony montana and having a code yeah so then you see like a twist on the code for someone like Anton gogh In uh, No Country for Old Men, where he's about to execute Llewellyn Moss's uh, wife. And she says, you don't have to do this. And he says, why do they always say that? And she says, say what? They always say, you don't have to do this. And she said, because you don't. And he takes out the coin and flips it. And he says, the best that I got, call it. That's the code. If it's heads, if it's tails. That's, that's as much of a code as he's got. If the coin says you die, you die. If the coin says you live, you live. And the shopkeeper uh, later on in the movie, he actually walks away from that guy, but it's the same thing. It's just this weird, twisted right. creed that he lives by or, or, or that they live by or whatever. But. You know, I, you brought up
0: the Queen of the South and that brought up another uh, ready example, You know, perhaps along the same lines. And, and that, that would be HBO's The Wire. You know, all time classic, of course. Right. And you find that there are several villains in that, a couple of which ostensibly would be on the side of the good. You know, like the vi- like Rawls is a villain. Right. I don't care how you say it. Right. 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 <laughs> right. 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 I didn't even think about that, Yo, That's so great. Yes. He is. He is a villain, and he just <laughs> enjoys making just life harder for McNulty and and. <laughs> At the major crafts unit, you know what I'm saying? Yep, yep. While on the other side of the law, you do have someone like <clears throat> Avon Barksdale, Stringer Bell, Avon Barksdale. Mm-hmm. He knows through and through that he's a gangster, and he espouses at different points of the show, you know, about being a gangster and that there there are rules to this shit. You know what I'm saying? And again it's someone like a Stringer Bell who doesn't abide by or breaks those rules who ends up paying for it. You know what I'm saying? Right. So to your point, there is a code that must be abided by, even if you're on the wrong side of, you know, good or what have you. And if you break that, there are consequences.
1: Right. And the wire is, an, is another great example of, and I mentioned two HBO shows. The Wire is another great example where, in a weird dissonance, you want Avon Barksdale and Stringer to somehow succeed, maybe get out of the life, and at the same time, you want the cops to stop them. Yeah. Because of what they're doing to to their community and to their neighborhood. And the the other HBO show that I'll bring up as an example is The Sopranos. Hmm. The Sopranos is a story about a crime boss, the head of a, of a crime family, who is, he's emotionally disturbed, and so he's, he's, ha- he's going through therapy, but he's a crime boss, he's a murderer, you know, he's a thief, he's an adulterer, he's all these things, and yet he is the beloved star of the show, and it was a hit show for multiple seasons. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And- you spent so much time with Tony and with uh, with Chris, his nephew, and with Carmela, his wife, and all the other members of the crew uh, to the point where you kind of wanted them to get away with it. You kind of wanted them... Like, you did see the FBI and the local police as kind of like assholes, mm-hmm. you know? And the gangsters were the people who you rooted for, even though they were, you know, ruthless and vile and uh and corrupt and would kill each other you know if they had to but and they did have a code but you know what i mean but he was the star of a hit weekly tv show and he was an unrepentant murderer Mm -hmm. and i'm like how does that happen and and so this is what i kind of wonder if when the story is told through the eyes or when you spend a lot of time and we discussed this on our uh uh, la crime movies episode when you spend a lot of time with the gangsters with the criminals with the villains is that part of what kind of indoctrinates the audience member or the reader uh almost like a stockholm syndrome kind of a thing oh yeah absolutely
0: (laughs) most scorsese movies you know what i'm saying Taxi driver. Travis Bickle is like, ugh, like, ugh, ugh. I would never want to hang out with him. (laughs) Oh, hell no. (laughs) Ugh. Yeah. But you see the world through his eyes. You're like, damn. So at midpoint, you're almost like, damn, he's just lonely. He's he's just a lonely guy, just trying to get through, just trying to get by. Damn. And you start seeing it his way. Good fellas. Henry Hill, Jimmy Conway, (laughs) even Tommy, (laughs) Joe Pesci's scared. You're like, you know, these guys are by turns evil, ruthless, killers, thieves, but funny. Yeah. And they'll make you laugh. It's like, I don't (laughs) want to laugh, though. Right, (laughs) right, right. You catch yourself, I want (laughs) to laugh. no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> because you see it from their point of view to the point where yeah the times that Henry Hill is caught it's like oh man them police assholes man them asshole cops oh, yes. man, come on yes. man damn
1: <laughs> that's exactly it that is exactly it and it's it's kind of hard not to do that you know to some extent because I guess maybe like with The Sopranos or with Avon. And then there's there's a difference between, as it goes back to The Wire, there's a difference between you kind of rooted for Avon and Stringer. I never fucking rooted for Marlo Stanfield.
0: Oh, no. Mm -mm. Ever.
1: (laughs) Not for one second. But, you know, with The Sopranos, maybe you kind of, after a while, you just felt like, okay, all the shit that they're doing, all the disgusting, terrible, evil things... It's just work. Mm -hmm. It's just how they earn a living. It's just how they make money. You know, they make a lot of money doing it, you know, because it's, you know, it's ill-gotten gain. But, I mean, you know, after a while, maybe you just become kind of desensitized to it. But I think it has to do something with, like with Tony, where it's not really, the show wasn't really about mafia and, and hits and all of that it was really about a guy who is emotionally disturbed or has mental illness and he's seeking therapy and the people around him don't understand the mental illness and he can't talk about it. And he comes from a very dysfunctional uh, uh, upbringing from his mom and his dad and his uncle. Yeah. And he doesn't have good examples. And so he's a little bit broken on the inside, but he does have some talent and something that he can use to make his way in the world. And really, that's all of our stories to some extent. Mm. There's an element of that. That's all of our stories. We all come from some version of that. And um, even down to the mental illness and not being able to discuss it. Yeah. You know, and so forth. So it's just, I don't know. It's, It's just, I think that's also the thing, too, in terms of, like, with Travis Bickle, I felt sorry for him. I didn't empathize with him. I felt sorry for him. So it was sympathy, not empathy. Mm -hmm. But maybe with a Tony Soprano, I felt empathy. Uh, Maybe with a Magneto, I felt empathy. Now, let me ask you this, man. Um, Right now in theaters, Mm -hmm. there is a new movie out featuring the character of Cruella DeVille starring Emma Stone and Emma Thompson.
0: Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: And my understanding is in the film... You know, because Cruella DeVille, you know, she's from 101 Dalmatians and, um, you know, she was she was the the bad the bad person. She was the villain. But you didn't really know why, per se. At least I don't recall why. And my understanding from the feature film is, is they give her a backstory as to why she hates dogs and why she hates Dalmatians. And so. It's the origin of Cruella Deville, and I'm just like, I didn't need to know that. Not that I saw the movie, but you know what I mean. Yeah. See, that's
0: the whole thing. That, that's that's the trend I couldn't stand, and I, and I saw it start with um, a couple of years ago, where they did Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty, a live action version of that. No. Same. The same thing. You same don't thing. Need to yeah. know Maleficent, which is who is one of my favorite villains ever. Period, bar none. I love that movie, Sleeping Beauty. But we didn't know. Her, we didn't need to know her backstory. We knew enough from the movie, from the animate, the original animated movie, and it was just great. Great look. Great villain. Did what she needed to do, and that was that. Why a backstory is needed to make us empathize, perhaps even sympathize with the villain? No. Yeah. No. And Disney is just replete now with doing that. In live action, it's like, no, nah, no, nah, bruh. Uh-uh.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I don't really need to know why Thanos is the way he is. Mm. I just know he sees the world in a particular way that I don't necessarily agree with, and I'm good. Right. You know what I mean? I kind of do like the fact that Dracula later on was kind of portrayed as a bit tortured. Mm. You know, I do kind of like a little bit of that. Uh, that works for me. Um, even um, like a character like Louis from Interview with the Vampire, yeah, the whole movie is bloodsuckers. We're we're traveling through time with bloodsuckers. There was a little girl who was turned into a vampire at fourteen years, twelve years old, and she is a bloodsucker. I mean, that's that's it. Those are our keys, our entry into this world. And so, Louis. Is the closest we come to a hero, but he's a vampire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's feeding on rats, you know, and 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 uh and uh Lestat is laughing at his ass for doing it. You know, but you know what I mean? So it's like yeah. even with that, where I do kinda like that, but I did want to say, like, you know, looking at some of the uh the villains throughout pop culture, you know, Cruella and Hannibal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Also like Amanda Waller. Mm. Mm. Is Amanda Waller a villain? She she now she she has no scruples.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: She will turn her ethics on its head to achieve a goal. She is essentially an instrument of of the government, of the agency that she works for.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: But is she a villain though?
0: Hmm. By turn, you could probably say, oh man, like you said, some of the things that she's done, other characters like that, you know, you could say, oh man, that's totally unethical. She's Again, she didn't take the high road. She kind of had to go underneath, underground almost, if you will, to achieve this goal at the under end, you know, but it got done to save this result, you know, to save this from happening. But is she a villain?
1: (sighs) like for instance, is she is she the comic book animation and now feature film equivalent of of the uh the chief that you mentioned on the wire and, and that in, in bureaucratic terms yes,
0: for sure there we go,
1: yeah, that's a better word for it bu- bureaucratic yeah,
0: yeah mhm mm-hmm. because because <laughs> that plays into like more of that real world sense of like. In our regular workplaces, in our everyday goings on, there—I just say it—there are some people that we all work with that you're just like, why do they get off on just being so evil? Why at any turn they take relish in just lowballing somebody? Yeah. Sometimes you have to sit back and almost eat that shit. You know, you can't even speak up because there are other politics at play. But that person knows exactly how to play the politics either because they've been there long enough to know if this goes on, I have an in with the hires up to make sure my hands stay clean. Right. But I can, you know, do whatever. To me, that's kind of villainy. You realize consciously what you're doing and why you're doing it. And in some cases, you enjoy doing it. You enjoy moving the pieces around and see. <laughs> watch this. Watch this. I'm gonna get him in trouble with HR.
1: Oops, got him. You know, it's like. Right. <laughs> oh, I can't stand you. Oh my but god. But you know what? But you know what though? That's kind of funny because there's also like a level of villainy where it's not the grand. You know, the great villain like the Maleficence or the Cruella's <laughs> or uh the Wicked Witch of the West or Eveline from the Wiz. It's not the grand villain, but it's this lower level, mid-level villain where it's kind of like a sniveling, sneaky, untrustworthy motherfucker. So like Gollum in The Lord of the Rings.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Or... Renfield, where we kind of felt maybe depending upon the depiction of Dracula, where you kind of maybe felt a little bit of sympathy for Dracula, but Renfield just seems like a sniveling, ass kissing, yeah, Renfield, Renfield, you know, it's like, I just want somebody to just take Renfield's ass out. You know, exactly. Just choke <laughs> choke him silently. <laughs> so then we have like, oh, uh, uh, like Dr. Doom where he's kind of like a tragic villain. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's a tragic villain. We mentioned Mr. Freeze. You know, it's funny when you're talking about comic book villains,
0: you know, both we've said it before. You've mentioned it numerous times. You know, both Spider-Man and Batman have the best road galleries in comics, bar none. Period.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And both of those road galleries, the villains, you know, that are the most memorable, have these backstories where you kind of sympathize with them. And depending on who's writing it, who's and who understands those characters, those are brought to the fore magnificently i can't tell you how many times man like on batman the animated series where you'll be watching an episode about mr freeze or about clay face or about man bat man bat yeah yeah or even or even the joker on occasion we're just like damn the writing on this is so good that damn i i kind of see why you why you're doing this like many of those episodes, you kind of feel so, I remember as a kid feeling so, not not in a bad way, but almost downtrodden at the end of those episodes. It's like, damn, I, I kind of wanted Mr. Freeze to get away. Batman didn't have to do them like that. And then like the ending frames of that animation of that cartoon, you're just like, dang, that's kind of jacked up, man. Oh, man. <laughs> and what all those villains have in common is there's always the refrain of, I don't want to do this, Spider-Man. I don't want to do this, Batman. But, but leave me alone. I got to do this. I have something else you don't know about that's altruistic in some way, but I can't let you know what that is. Just leave me alone. And Batman and Spider-Man, I can't leave you alone because you're going to hurt other people doing it. Right. You know what I'm saying? But we as the audience know because we know the backstory of that villain. You know,
1: so like, so like the uh, the second uh, Raimi Spider Man movie, where Doctor Octopus, you know, is you know these the, the arms are grafted to his body, and his wife ends up dying, you know. And this is you know him and Mister Freeze. This is basically fridging the wife character so that this other character gets launched into you know something else. Yeah, uh, which is, yeah. which is a trope. And I remember, uh, do you remember the old '60s Spider Man cartoon? Um, where the scorpion he would take the he would drink the whatever ah, and it was making him go crazy ah, ah, yeah. Ah,
0: and i remember yeah.
1: i remember feeling sorry for him i was like okay he didn't ask for this this is just you know something that happened to him but i'm trying to think of other villains where you would like you're saying with that backstory and you kind of knowing where they came from where it, it it kind of changes things for you like i would say the sad man like I, I hate spider-man 3 but
0: the Sandman in Spider-Man 3, it's like, damn, yeah. And then when he, when he he's turned to, or even in the comics where Sandman is, like, turned into mud when he's all wet, it's like, ah, come on, Spider-Man. You didn't have to do that to him. Dang, oh, man.
1: Yeah, yeah. And even I mentioned a minute ago the uh, the Wicked Witch of the West. Yeah. When she gets hit with that water, I felt bad for her ass, you it's know? Oh, like, man, Oh, dang. what a world. Yeah, you little guy. I mean, it was it was horrifying to see her just like melt into a puddle on the floor, right? Um, e- even though she was an, but here's the thing: was the Wicked Witch of the West? I mean, come on, man! Dorothy dropped the house on her sister, and then stole her shoes, stole her red bottoms, yo. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> These is yeah. bloody shoes. These expensive ones. <laughs> I mean, come on. So, she had a right to be pissed.
0: Yeah, You yeah. know,
1: I'm going to fuck with you. I'm going to fuck with your crew. I'm going to fuck with everybody that roll with you. Going to catch what you catch, you know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and your dog, too. And your dog. <laughs> but
1: i don't know man it's it's just it's just a, a weird thing but another example i thought of and 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 we talked on a previous episode about uh your your love and, and and dwight too uh love of professional wrestling yeah oh yeah. so that's a great example of villains i think they call them heels that's correct yes that's yes, her yeah they call them heels but the villains in professional wrestling so uh, and I watched a little professional wrestling when I was when we first moved to Georgia and we lived in College Park and then we moved to East Point and I watched professional wrestling with uh Gordon
0: Gordon Sole.
1: Gordon Soley. Gordon yes. Sole. This is Gordon Soly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I remember, you know, all of the wrestlers, and sometimes, you know, you would have a good character and a bad character, and the bad character would become uh, 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 a hero and then the hero would go to the side of the villains you know so and you would see these weird alliances happen where they would go over and then they grab each other's hand and lift their hand in the air and now you know this person has crossed the threshold into the into villainy you know but you know you had like your Ric Flair's oh yes uh, your Randy Savage's your Roddy Piper's yeah you know your Triple H's you know <laughs> yeah now, was, was The Rock, was he a hero or was he a villain in wrestling? It's funny because here, here's the thing about professional wrestling, especially
0: these days, there's a big trend now to make everyone want to become like this anti-hero or just straight heel now. You know what I'm saying? They came out with their colorful costumes and stuff, and then all of a sudden now they're coming out with black trunks, leather. And it's just like, but when there's two of them fighting, I was like, okay, which one do I root for now? Right, right. I, who's the black hat? Who's the white hat? Or who's the, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But when when we were coming up, it was easy to know when Ric Flair was fighting, he was the villain. But we still rooted for him because he was so damn charismatic. Woo! 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 Exactly. And <laughs> yeah, he would talk that <laughs> talk and walk that walk. Just be talking that. Talking at John, you know, and it was just like, man, and to see him get his comeuppance at least every week, like, good, stick it to him, good, yep. you know. But now it's just like, no, it's like, who, what, what are y'all doing, you know,
1: it's just so confusing watching wrestling now for sure. You know what, my one of my most clear memories watching uh, pro wrestling when I was a kid, yeah, uh, like a preteen or 12, 13 years old was, uh, like, you know, so you had like Mr. Wrestling number one and two.
0: Yes, sir. Yeah.
1: You had uh Tony Atlas.
0: Tony Atlas.
1: You had Raymond Ruggio. <laughs> and I remember Tony Atlas, and Tony Atlas wasn't he wasn't the most well spoken brother out there, yo. But you know, he would come out there and he would he would make his pecs move like like boobs, yo. Uh huh. <laughs> he'd be making his <laughs> pecs move. And he said, Yeah, we're gonna get in the ring and we're gonna booger ooger ooger i was like what <laughs> Booga, you mean boogie oogie oogie tony Adams? <laughs> and then you had uh abdullah the butcher oh. and uh the sheik and all these other characters and then i remember in like ninth grade uh this kid jeff cohen that i went to school with and he told me he said man me and my family went to eat at uh, it was like a uh, a buffet. I forgot what it was called in East in East Point, at this buffet, and we saw Tony Atlas and Abdullah the Butcher eating together. Oh no! What? They <laughs> broke kayfabe.
0: Oh no! Yes, yo, yes, <laughs>
1: and the the scales fell from my eyes, yo. <laughs> oh man! It was man. at that moment I realized, oh, it's all an act. They're not really fighting each other. Oh, okay. And uh, and that was the end of it. So, but <laughs> but I but wrestling is definitely one of those places where people openly root for the villain. Oh yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like like they're coming to see the villain, you know, whack some ass. You know what I mean? You know what's funny about that is it's like
0: uh, you, you know, you know, of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Of course, yeah, it's, yeah. It's funny because um, Steve Austin when he was in the uh, WCW Federation, he was a babyface, you know, that, that's the good guys for those who don't know. Um, he was a baby face. Mm-hmm. When he went to the WWF, you know, he changed his look, you know, shaved head, black trunks and everything, and they still didn't quite know what to do with him. So he created himself as a villain, you know, and became the biggest draw in the company. Wow. Bar none. You know what I'm saying? So it's crazy how that works. If people would come to WWF matches to see Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know?
1: Really? That's, I believe it, man, because I remember the the era that I started watching professional wrestling. You didn't root for the bad guys. You wanted the bad guys to lose. Yeah. As it got bigger, as it got off of like local, whatever, you know, wrestling was on when when I was a, a 13 year old. By the time it got to, um, what's the guy's name who runs who runs it? McMahon. Oh yeah, Vince McMahon. Yes. Vince McMahon once he took it, you know, way over the top and made it like professional, you know, like uh uh prof- like uh professional baseball or basketball where you know, and you're literally selling the stars and it's the spectacle and all of that. Hmm. I mean, it was it was game over. So I, you know, like I would hear the names Randy Savage. I didn't know he was a villain. I didn't know Rick. I knew Ric Flair was a villain. But I didn't know, like, Triple H and some of those other... I didn't know they were villains. I just heard the names. I just thought, oh, they're wrestlers. You know, but that really became, you know, became the thing. But let's uh, let's start, uh, wind it down. I, I wanted to talk, too, like, again, we talked about Thanos, where you understand someone's motivation. And ultimately, he was a villain, but Ozymandias from Watchmen? Mmm, mmm. Where he's kind of doing a Thanos kind of a thing where he says, not a Thanos thing per se, but if I create a greater threat than man against man, then man will bond with man. You know, and that'll, that'll that'll bring the peace. Mm-hmm. So if I do this one horrible thing that kills a lot of people, I'll bring about a peace on the planet. And Thanos is like, okay, if I take out half the universe, I'll bring a, a sort of peace to the universe you know uh and but it's one of those things where even like with amanda waller where she feels like they feel like the ends justify the means mm-hmm. you know how we get here is not important as long as we get here right yeah mm-hmm. you know and and i think that i don't know man i remember thinking this is a crazy ass plan has had but goddamn, it's going to work. Because I had thought for years as a science fiction fan, well, of course, if they ever proved that there was life outside of our solar system or that there were other other life in the universe, then all of a sudden, I don't become an American and this person doesn't become a, a, a European or a Frenchman or a, a Canadian or a, a Zimbabwean or a Cameroonian or a, a Japanese or whatever. We all become Earth people. We all become the same at that point. So, of course, they don't want that information to come out so i was i was when i thought of it i was like that's actually a pretty good pretty good plan i mean <laughs> you know
0: see that's the crazy thing right he's a villain but you see his point you see it from his point of view it's like yeah that you know he got a point <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's, that's the mark <laughs> but you villain when you sit back you're like you know after some consternation they have a point yeah,
1: they kind of have a point. <laughs> right. It would be it would be like in the old black and white serials where, you know, you must pay the rent. I can't pay the rent. You must pay the rent. I can't pay the rent. I'll pay the rent. My hero. And then the girl says, okay, now she signed the contract for this right here and said she was going to make a payment every third Friday. She has missed the last four payments the last four Fridays. She broke the contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did sign on the paper, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying?
0: <laughs> now, if it seems to me in modern times, there is a more of a tendency to take it there in terms of getting us as the audience to empathize with the villain, i.e. the way that Disney is doing that with their classic villains, mm-hmm. giving them a backstory and everything. But you find that even now with like just regular movies and TV shows where it's just like you're meant to see it from that point of view and often those shows become very popular because you're looking at it from that alternate point of view than you usually would you know shows like um, a lot of those HBO shows for sure but stuff like Sons of Anarchy you know uh, Deadwood the stuff where you're looking at it from the opposite side of the law mm-hmm. and you see like man at the end of the day, they're just trying to get by. They're just trying to earn some money for their family, for their crew. You know, all he want to do is make enough so that they can leave the country and retire or whatever. You know, it's all about seeing it from their point of view. And like you said earlier in the episode, man, in a lot of ways, that's so relatable to us all because based on choices that we would make as individuals. Any of us could be the villain in someone's story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We might be the hero in our own, but in someone else's story, we could be the villain, even if it's for a day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I have said for years, I don't care how much someone is liked and how much someone is admired and respected. Everybody is somebody's asshole. Sure. Absolutely. Everybody. Everybody is somebody's asshole. And another thing that I I was thinking about when, when you were just talking was. A situation where like like in, um, in Scarface or there are multiple examples in Queen of the South and other things you've seen where the head bad person gives a leg up to somebody who is a nobody, turns them into somebody, almost like in kind of an Eliza Doolittle kind of a way, turns them into somebody, takes that piece of coal, compresses it and turns it into a diamond. And then when they turn on their mentor... And the mentor says, I'm gonna kill you for turning on me. You're kinda like, okay, they, they did kind of help you, yo. They I mean, you didn't have shit. Mm-hmm. You had less than shit. You you became somebody because of them, and now you're turning on them. Now you're pulling you're turning the gun on this person who gave you a leg up. And and now all of a sudden, that's when you see, okay, Scarface, and, you know, Tony Montana is he is the villain in this story. You know, I can't wait for this movie to be over because this guy is despicable because he ends up shooting his uh, his mentor and stealing his wife, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. at the same time. So um, a couple of quotes, some fun quotes from some villains. All right. S- some are rougher than others, yo, but uh, Drax from, I believe, Moonraker. OK, where he tells his henchman, look after Mr. Bond, see that harm comes to him. <laughs> which, I thought, which i thought was great uh we talked about amanda waller earlier she's talking to uh one of her uh her government figures and he asked he says where did you put him she said let's just say i put him in a hole and threw away the hole I was like, damn <laughs> <Dang>. damn yo <laughs> and then uh your boy derek vineyard from american history x Oh man, okay. This is this is too real. Way he's like, yeah, we're so hung up on this notion that we have to some obligation to help the struggling black man, you know, cut him some slack until he can overcome these historical injustices. It's crap. I mean, Christ, Lincoln freed the slaves like what, 130 years ago? How long does it take to get your act together? I was like, damn, damn, damn yo, fuck <laughs> <laughs> oh, you. <yeah. laughs> and then uh, two 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 good comic book ones: the Joker and uh, the Dark Knight. This okay. is uh, you know why I use a knife. Guns are too quick. You can't savor all the little emotions. And you see, in their last moments, people show who they really are. So in a way, I know your friends better than you ever did. Ooh. Would you like to know which one of them were cowards? Oh, like, chilling, chilling. Yes, yo, yes. But my favorite, and it's not a great movie, but the uh, the Dark Knight Rises with Bane. Okay. Um, which in the comics. I read a little bit of Bane and I don't remember Bane being sympathetic or empathetic.
0: There's an element to him where his backstory was like he was this baby born in a prison to an unwed mother.
1: As it is in the films then, okay.
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: Okay, okay. Yeah, and so Bane's line from uh, The Dark Knight Rises where he says, You think darkness is your ally. You were merely adapted to the dark. I was born in it, molded by it. I didn't see the light until I was a man, and by then, it was only blinding. <laughs> and I, was oh, like,
0: man, I, I, I gotta say, man, Tom, Tom Hardy killed that shit. He rocked that shit, yes, yo. yo. He yes, rocked that yo. It, yo. <laughs> he
1: truly did, yo. Where I was just like, he had great, He had that was a great line, and he he really, really pulled that one off, yo. Yeah, yo. Um, and I, I didn't root for Bane, per se. I don't even think I even rooted for Batman because the movie was so <laughs> stupid, but. <laughs> <laughs> But uh you just rooting for the movie to be over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, free me. Free me from yes. free me from my own prison, okay?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that concludes this episode of Sidebar Forever hosted by Dwight Clark, Swain Hunt, and Adrian Johnson. You can find us online at SidebarForever.com. Any emails or questions can be directed to us at SidebarForever at gmail.com. And also, subscribe to us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram.